0: Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy?
1: Yeah, good. We you going well. Just uh, just surviving another week of um, homeschooling and lockdown here in
0: beautiful wintery Melbourne. I'm sure that's been a real joy for you, mate, homeschooling the kids. How's it been?
1: I'm uh, not too bad this time around. I think the more times we do it, the less uh, we actually give a shit about it. And, um, <laughs> they kind of punch out a few worksheets in the morning and then spend the rest of the afternoon on their iPads. So, watching... Watching whatever they ha- whatever the hell they want, so we can get some, um, try and get some bit of work in in the limited amount of work we can do.
0: Work, work <laughs> slash watching the NBA. I'm sure Caddy is. Uh, <laughs>
1: well, it's been the one bonus for sure. Has been able to, yeah, catch up on uh, quite a few of the playoff games. So um, that's been the one benefit of everything uh, the past fortnight.
0: It certainly is, and yeah, it's obviously heating up in the moment. We've got all the series of progress into into the second round, apart from one. So we'll touch. We'll just initially touch on how the, uh, the series closed out for these round one matchups. So we'll start in the west where the first seeded Utah against the eighth seeded Memphis Grizzlies. Last time we spoke, it was Utah up 2-1. So in game four, it was Utah 120 to 113. Donovan Mitchell uh, had 30 points and eight rebounds, and Jordan Clarkson come off the bench and hit 24 points. Uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies, it was Ja Moran continuing his excellent form with 23.6 rebounds and 12 assists. Jaron Jackson Jr. finally had his... Uh, well, not finally. Yeah, well, he had his best game of the series with 21 points. Attempted 10 three-pointers, so he wasn't shy in that game. And it was a little bit close. Memphis, uh, Utah, sorry, actually missed their first nine shots in the last quarter as Memphis started to make a bit of a late run. But they were able to close it out. It was actually uh, Melton who had a big last quarter for Memphis. He had 15 points in that last quarter to, to sort of close that gap. But Utah were a little bit more ex- uh, too experienced than the Memphis Grizzlies and were able to close that game out. And then heading into Game 5, everyone was expecting Utah to close it out, and that's the way it was. And they came out absolutely scorching in the first quarter. They scored 47 points on 9 for 15 from 3, and they were up 47-27 at the quarter-time break, and that was pretty much the end of the game. And ended up winning that game 126 to 110. Uh, Donovan Mitchell again, 30 points, 6 rebounds and 10 assists. Jordan Clarkson with another 24 points off the bench. Rudy Gobert was fantastic with 23 points, 15 rebounds and 3 blocks. And John Morant finished off the series with 27.7 rebounds and 11 assists. And Dylan Brooks also with 27 points. So firstly, we'll touch on the Memphis Grizzlies, Caddy. How impressed with you with what they dished up in this series? And what do you think the future holds for Memphis? Do you see them sort of going ahead as basically a perennial uh, playoff team? Or are they just going to be on that border every year? Or sort of what, what's your uh, diagnosis for them going forward?
1: Yeah, look. I think um, when they look back, they'll be you know reasonably happy with their performance. Obviously, a to get through the play-in tournament, which was a really good effort, and it was good to send them back up. You know that effort they had towards the back end of last season in the bubble as well. So for them to get in through that play-in, beat the Golden State Warriors in a big game, and then you know then take game one off uh, Utah. Here, you know, it was a it was a pretty good first up effort for their you know for these young players in this Memphis team. I think at the end, um, the depth and the quality of the Utah team was was just too much for them. Uh, to you know to, to really compete night in, night out with. But I think they they'd be really happy with the way that they performed on the big stage. We can certainly have no doubts now around, you know, Jamaran and his ability to play on the big stage of the playoffs. He he stepped up averaging the thirty points a game through the five games in forty minutes, which is outstanding. He got really good support from Dylan Brooks as you um you know, preempted pride of the playoffs as well, so that was a real positive. Um, I think you know the, the future improvements really going to come from a, a, another step taken forward from Jaron Jackson Jr. I think for this team to to really contend again in, in, into a play, into a playoff berth. But you know they they're going to be well well situated heading into next season. You know these young core the young core of this team isn't going anywhere. They're all locked up basically on their rookie deals still. So you've got Morant, Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks has, um signed. Another two future years already, as well. The uh, Anthony Meltons, you know, under a rookie contract as well. So they're pretty well suited. Um, you know, they're going to be well suited going forward and with cap space going forward. I mean, we know Memphis historically haven't been a great free agent destination, but I think there is going to be people might start looking across there now with this really strong young core um, to hopefully move forward with. And I think they will be a playoff team moving forward. Um, you just think there's going to be a continued improvement out of this group and if they can just add a bit more veteran experience now I think that's the the situation they're in. I don't think they need to sort of head to the draft and do anything silly from you know a first round draft pick point of view. I think it's just adding some veteran help uh to this to this team and they'll be there again next
0: year. So for them to take the next step, you mentioned there they're not a free agent destination and they, they generally haven't been and maybe that does change when when we've seen how good Jamarant's been. So for them to take that next step into being a contender in the West and not just a playoff um, hopeful team. Is it just Jar Morant making another step up to becoming perhaps a top 10 player? Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., we can sort of write off his playoffs. He was obviously a little bit disappointing, but he only played two games leading into the playoffs, so that was probably to be expected. So is it Jar Morant becoming a top 10 player, Jaron Jackson fulfilling his potential that we all see and turning himself into, let's say, a top 40 player in the NBA and then sort of adding around the perimeters? Is that what you see for them to make that big big step. And for you, what what sort of player would you be looking at to add around the perimeters? Would it be you know, a, a good maybe defensive type winger who can also add a little bit on the offensive? Do you think that's the ingredient that they need to take that next step?
1: Yeah, possibly. We also look at just the, you know, you look at Dylan Brooks. If he is their second best offensive play playmaking shooter, then, you know, there could be a potential to look to upgrade in that position potentially to give more uh, consistent support around Jama around. So So they're going to have an avenue around, you know, as we talked about, free agency is going to be tough. So they might need to sort of work around some of these good young players that they do have, look to potentially package some of these guys up, whether it's De'Anthony Melton, whether it's a Brandon Clark or a a Desmond Baines, you know, you can put a few of those guys together uh, to try and, you know, upgrade into one of those positions. Because, look, I probably still have my doubts whether Dylan Brooks is probably, you know, a good second banana in terms of offensively. I think if they can try and upgrade in that position and and give more support around Moran's. Um, I think in the big man stocks, you know you know he does a, a fair job. But I don't think you're going to get much better value at that position at that price. He's under contract for 14 million uh, for next season, which I think is a, a really fair number. And then obviously Jaron Jackson Jr., the other big guy on this roster. So I think yeah, if they can kind of upgrade another scorer to to assist Jar Morant going forward, I think that might be their best avenue forward.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt they need to get a, a better second scorer than Dylan Brooks. He's if you if you're going to be a championship contender, and that's obviously what every every team's striving to be, uh, it can't be Dylan Brooks as your as your second best scorer. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. season. Do they push all their chips in? Do they do they throw a contract at someone like a Demar DeRozan? Or they'd probably want someone who who shoots a three ball a little bit better than Demar does. But you know he he could be someone that could cer- certainly add some offensive uh, firepower to their team. J- just shifting our focus now over to Utah. How did you, how did you see them in this series? Was it just them sort of ticking this box and and getting through to the second round? Probably the the biggest thing we wanted to see out of them was how healthy uh, Donovan Mitchell looked. He averaged a twenty eight and a half points in, in in just under thirty minutes. So you could say he, he certainly ticked that box. He he looked healthy enough. Jordan Clarkson came alive in those last couple of games, and Rudy's go Gobert, Rudy Gobert's defense was what you'd expect to be. I guess the one question mark is the fact that Mike Conley did injure his hamstring late in the series, and how serious that is going forward, we don't know. So for them to fulfil their potential, they'll certainly need a healthy uh, Mike Conley, who because he was excellent in this series and throughout most of this season. So for you, Caddy, what did you see out of Utah? Is there still has a as a picture become any clearer for them? The fact that the Lakers have been knocked out, do they sort of jump up a little bit? Where do you sit with them at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean we spoke about it last week, where we probably still thought the Lakers. You know, all things being equal, with their yeah, you know, having healthy bodies on the court, they may have been, you know, the probably the greatest challenger to Utah um, in the Western Conference. Well, they they're out of the picture now. So, and obviously the Clippers are <laughs> right up against it. We'll talk about them, I'm sure, shortly. But, um, you know, the the West has kind of leveled out a little bit. I think you know some of these underrated teams that we you don't know, talk about as as much during the season. The Phoenix, Denver, if it's Dallas and Utah, then it's it's quite an interesting final four if that's how it ends up shaking out. And if that is the way it happens, then I think Utah would be feeling pretty good about the way they're positioned here. I mean, you know, they obviously missed Donovan Mitchell in that first game, the only game they did lose. But um, I think for the rest of it, the guys that, you know, all through there from, you know, play one through to about nine, they, I think they all pretty much did what we'd expect. I think, you know, the, uh, a question mark for me is around down there, and Joe Ingalls, he looks the, almost a shell of himself in these last couple of games. And, and even, um, you know, the minutes he would normally play went down. Uh, particularly in games four and five. So he needs to sort of find his confidence, particularly from a three-point shooting point of view, get his scoring back up. But, um, yeah, Clarkson, Bogdanovich, Rudy Gobert was terrific all throughout the series. And, yeah, obviously big concern around Mike Conley with the mild, strained hamstring. So I think, you know, like all the teams, but I think Utah as well in particular, they really can't afford to lose one of their top three or four players here because even though we've talked about, you know, the balance of their roster, it's still not – Extremely deep when once you start running down the bench, you know, once you go past Georges and Yang and you know Derek Favors, there's not a hell of a lot left on the bench, um, other than Joe Joe Ingalls. So, yeah, they don't want to, I'm sure, lose Mike Conley for any, any period of time here. And hopefully, if he gets reevaluated before game one of the series, at least they've, um, you know, bought some time with you know the other series going to game seven, which I'm sure they were barracking for the other day.
0: Yeah, no doubt that they were hoping for a longer series possible to give not only conley a chance to get his hamstring right but obviously donovan mitchell a little bit more time to to get nice and fresh and yeah joe engles mate we've spoken about the fact that he's he shrunk a little bit uh, at times for the Boomers, and, and you'd love to see him get back to the way he played this season. And you know, no matter who they play in the next round, whether it be Dallas or the Clippers, he, he's going to have a big role. Whether he has to spend some time on a Doncic or a Hardaway Jr. or obviously if the Clippers get through, he's going to have to be uh, relied upon to spend some time on Kawhi or Paul George. So he, he's going to have to come up much bigger uh, for Utah in this next series than he did in in the first series. Uh, so we'll move over now to to what was the, probably the well, I don't know if it's the biggest upset the, the the second seed of Phoenix Suns against the seventh seed of Lakers. So last time we spoke, the Lakers were up two one and it was trending towards this being a pretty pretty easy closeout series for for the Lakers at that stage with the injury to Chris Paul. Uh, he was not looking anywhere near his normal self. Uh, so we thought it would be pretty easy for the Lakers, and, and it's totally flipped on its on its head. So Game 4, Phoenix Suns fought back to come away with a 100-92 win, and Chris Paul looked much better than he had in the previous two games. He had his best game of the series with 18 points and 9, nine assists. Devin Booker had 17 points, 7 rebounds and 5 assists, and DeAndre Ayton continued to contribute really heavily for the Phoenix Suns with 14 points and 17 rebounds. Uh, for the Lakers, it was basically just a one-man show. LeBron James had the 25 points, 12 rebounds and 6 assists. Uh, Gasol off the bench had twelve rebounds and eight assists. And uh, eight rebounds, sorry. And this was this was the, the big injury to Anthony Davis. He only had the six points in the nineteen minutes uh, played. He looked pretty ordinary before he got injured. Apparently, he already had a bit of an, a minor knee injury that that was hobbling him, and he injured his groin, and we didn't obviously see him for the rest of that game. And that spilled over into Game Five. There was no Anthony Davis, and Phoenix came out absolutely scorching. Um, in the first quarter, they were up thirty-four to twenty-six. Uh, Devin Booker had eighteen points in that first quarter, and Cameron Payne off the bench had ten points. He'd been fantastic in his backup role for Phoenix, right throughout the series. Um, and in that second quarter, they ended up going on a twenty-four to two run, and they were up sixty-six to thirty-six at halftime. And that was all she wrote. They ended up winning one fifteen to eighty-five. So then the closeout game, the big question that everybody had was obviously was whether Anthony Davis was going to play. Uh, he did. He did suit up in the end, and, and they made a change to their starting lineup as well. Marcus Sola came into the starting lineup in place of Andre Drummond, but again, it was Phoenix who got who got away to a really fast start. They were up fourteen to five. Um, they were just uh, Crowder found his shot. He hit a couple of threes. Anthony Davis didn't look good. Look good at all. Um, and coming out of a timeout, there was a foul. Anthony Davis. I'd been watching. I just basically just watched Anthony Davis for those first couple of minutes just to see how he was moving, and he got pushed as he was making a move to the basket. Now, when you've got an injury, you can sort of control the way you're running and how you move, but when you get pushed, obviously, you know, it's out of your control how quick and the movements you make, and as soon as he got pushed and had that foul against him, he, he could hardly move, and he, uh, I think it was Devin Booker drove on him on the next play, he tried to block it, and that was it. He, he grabbed at his groin, and he was done uh, for the rest, of the rest of the game. So... Unfortunately for the Lakers, it was going to be uphill work from there, and Devin Booker was absolutely fantastic in that first quarter. He had 22 points, including six three-pointers, he actually, which is the most he's ever had in a regular season game with six three-pointers, and he hit six in that first quarter. He had 33 points in the first half. Um and Phoenix were up 62-41 and LA had absolutely no energy. But to their credit, that they chipped away and in that in that third quarter they really lifted their energy. Led by Dennis Schroeder, I thought he was a bit of a menace on the defensive end. He was he was coming out with some steals. His energy was fantastic. And they were able to close the gap. Um and, and some of those shots started to fall uh, for the Lakers in that third quarter. But but it was sort of they just couldn't quite close the gap and Phoenix were able to come away with the win. Uh, in the end in, in Game 6, 113-100. Uh, to 100. Devin Booker was fantastic right throughout the game with 47 points, 11 rebounds and 3 assists. Ended up hitting 8 from 10 from downtown. Uh, Jay Crowder had his best game of the series with 18 points and 8 rebounds, 6 from 9 from 3. Uh, and Chris Paul, he just made some some really key plays in that last quarter. When when uh, the Lakers were looking to make a push, he came up with some really key passes and hit a nice uh, Chris Paul fadeaways. he lost the hits. He had the 8 points and 12 assists. Uh, for the Lakers, LeBron had a, I don't know, it's really hard to have a pedestrian, 29 points, nine rebounds and seven assists. Uh, Dennis Schroder bounced back. He had, a, he had a really poor previous two games. He had the 20 points, and, and uh, KCP had 90 points as well. But it was, I guess it was a bit of a disappointing end to the Lakers, not totally unexpected once uh, Anthony Davis went down with the injury. But the biggest question is, where do LA go from here? They've obviously got uh, their two stars, LeBron and Davis, um, locked up for the next few years. I think they've got eight players at the moment that, that are out of contract at the end of the year. And I guess the biggest question is what do they do with guys like Dennis Schroeder and Andre Drummond and these sort of guys? So, Caddy, where do you see the Lakers going from here? Can they get themselves back into championship contention next year? Is it as simple as having a healthy Davis and LeBron to, to get them back into championship status? Or do you think sort of their time as a championship contender is gone? No, look, I think with
1: LeBron and Anthony Davis, I think we've got a – give them the, the, I suppose, respect and credit where it's due that if both of those guys are fit and firing like they were really for that first half of the season, well, the LA Lakers are a championship caliber team. I don't care who they put around them. They're going to be contending again. You know, and I think we saw a slight drop-off potentially just in the back end of the season from what we'd come to expect from LeBron. Um, even I think his first half of the season, he was you know one of the MVP favorites. So I, I think it's too too quick to jump on and say that, you know he's deteriorating, or that he, you know, that he's on a, a downward trend. I think you know the injury obviously shook him up. Missing the twenty odd games uh, wasn't ideal for him. But um, I think yeah, if these two guys are, are fit and healthy, they they'll get a prolonged uh, break now. I, you know, LeBron's already declared he won't be part of the Olympic team. Look who knows what Anthony Davis's intentions are there. But you know, you'd be, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he went to the Olympics. Um, you know, if they can have a, an extended layoff now heading into next season, that'll position them well. You know, you, you go back to the start of this season for the Lakers, and we continually talked about um, early in the in the year just about how well they were doing, coming off the back of you know last year's championship run, and, and perhaps you know they we, we were surprised they weren't resting, you know James in particular and Davis um, a little bit more, and you know by the back into the year those injuries just crippled them, and you know with with only either one of them not hundred percent healthy, they I you know there was always concerns whether they had enough. So going into next year in terms of filling out. This roster, it's obviously really hard for them to bring in big name, you know, talent on any significant money. So they're gonna, I think they should look to re-sign Dennis Schroder. I think he he certainly proved that he was, um, you know, he can play alongside LeBron James and he's, a, you know, a valuable member of the team. His playoff series was okay, you know, averaging the fourteen points, um, in the end there um, during the playoffs. But you know, I think he's still important for them to bring back. You know, they can pay him and and, and obviously stay, you know, just pay the additional tax they've got his bird rights there. To be able to do so, look. I think Montrez Harrell. He's sorry, good sorry play- to cut you
0: off, mate. What number would you be comfortable paying Dennis Schroeder? Because they offered him four years around the eighty million dollar mark halfway through the season. He he declined that. Obviously, thought he could get a little bit more on the open market. I I've got to disagree with your take on the fact that he was okay in the playoffs. He he his first couple of games were good, and I think we sort of praised him last week. But he he, he didn't even score in game four. I think it was or game five. One of the one of those games, and he he was horrible in two consecutive games. He was he was much better in that. In that uh, last game where where they got closed out, but you would hope a guy like him, they brought him in to take a little bit of burden off Davis. And we saw once Davis went down, he wasn't capable of doing so. So, what what number would you feel comfortable signing Dennis Schroeder to?
1: Well, it certainly wouldn't be more than the, the number he's knocked back. Um, like obviously, he was playing on a fifteen and a half million contract this year. I mean, if he could, if he was able to get 20, 20 million a year over four years, I'm I'm really surprised he he didn't snap that up. I don't know that there'd be even a team out there. You know, that's almost starter level money. You know at, at that number, so I'd be surprised even if the Lakers at this point were a committed, uh, were looking to commit. You know, long term money to him. I think he might be in this situation coming into the off season where he may have to look at a you know a a, a sizeable one year contract or even a two year contract just to just to get through. And then um, you know, hopefully with the Lakers, they can they can pay him that, and then you know, post that year or two playing next to LeBron, then he can open himself up to a further contract down the track. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be. Really comfortable paying him, you know, above above what he was really getting paid this year. To be honest,
0: yeah, I, I agree. I, I, it is a bit surprising that uh, he did knock that back. He was probably hoping he'd have a really big playoff series and and they win 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 a chip and and sort of you get that that championship glow. And then everybody looks at you know Dennis Schroeder as a championship point guard, and he probably thought that might elevate his price, but that that could have backfired on him. So what about Andre Drummond? They got him across uh, before the trade, or as a, as a uh, they got him as off the. Waiver wire didn't they basically no, the, buy-out, the, the buyout market, market. Yeah. yeah so yeah. he he didn't he obviously started I think every game he played for them but then in the biggest game of the season he was a DMP so where do you reckon they sit with him they'll probably try and bring him back I suppose but again sort of what what sort of money would you be looking to commit to an Andre Drummond
1: no look I, I I'd be really surprised if Drummond's there again next year I, you know I think his expectation you know when he was heading into the buyout market was you know obviously to sign with the contender for this year but he's a guy that's still you know probably like to think he's you know close enough to the prime of his career he's going to be looking for a much size much more sizable contract and i'm sure the lakers are, are going to be able to offer him so I, he won't be there next year for mine i think he'll he'll be looking to um to cash in somewhere else um, on a, on a longer term Deal on, on bigger money. Where that's going to come from is, is going to be the hundred million dollar question potentially. Because um, you know, as, as we discussed in the buyout market, you know, what value was he going to have potentially to the Lakers? We we thought, you know, you'd pro- provide support there for for Davis. But as you said, he he, he was unplayable by the end, even with Davis, you know, you know, injured and unable to play there in the last game. So that's not a great sign for him moving forward with this team. Um, I think he'll be out of there and um, looking for for more longer-term security. And, you know, I think, again, we, you know, the buy market's a, a great discussion point. It's um, terrific for forums like this, um, to, you know, to have a, another filler at that type of the year to talk about. But really, we've seen it time and time again. There's really limited impact that happens with these players on the buy market. I think the guy that's probably had the biggest impact so far, you know, all of that group was probably Austin Rivers in Denver and he was one of the latest guys picked up. He was almost just pulled off the scrappy in the end. So I think we tend to overrate some of these guys that are, you know, getting bought out and you know into those championship level teams, um, we 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 seldom see the the impact that I'm sure that we we like
0: to think they're capable of having. Uh, you're right; it does really have an impact. But we will talk about another guy later who did have a big impact today. So you'd expect Marcus Sol was rumoured to retire last year, so you'd probably think that might happen. Montrez Harrell's got a nine, nearly ten million dollar player option next season. Does he pick that up? So th- there could be. Significant change to this Lakers group, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do fill out this this roster around the Lakers. Do they try and do they look at trading a, a Kyle Kuzma, uh, someone like that? To maybe he's probably their really their only decent sort of trade chip at the moment. How much you get for him? I'm not too sure. He he wasn't great during the playoffs, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I yeah, I you said you, you're not going to doubt LeBron James and you'd be a fool to do so, but he didn't look anywhere near the player that, that we've seen in the past, did he? I mean, you've got to cut him some slack, that the fact that he was coming off an injury, but th- there was just times where you were just waiting for him to assert himself, and he did it a couple of times. He sort of drove really hard and took it the length of the floor and, and laid it in, and you thought, okay, let's see a little bit more of that, but he, he just looked passive at times, and whether it was his ankle or, or what, or whether, you know, every <laughs> father time's undefeated, as I say, Caddy, so whether we're starting to see that first chink in lebron james's armor um i'm not sure but if he if he if he's only going to play at this level or just a little bit above it and not at a top five level um at, that we've seen right throughout his career it probably does spell the end for me of, of the lakers chances to be a, a premier uh, a title contender because but, he, but, but
1: when do we start putting the, the pressure on anthony davis to come oh, in and, and take, yep. take over that mantle look like, i mean he's getting paid you know big big money to be you know essentially the sharing number one player there he's on you know, really sizable money for the next five years at LA, Like, when does that responsibility shift over to him to to take over the mantle and, and, and be the leader of this team?
0: Well, it, it has to come next year. I mean, that, that's why they got him across because that I'm sure what they envis- envisaged was LeBron being the leader of this team for the first two, three years maybe, um, and then Anthony Davis takes over and LeBron can take a little bit of a back seat. So it might have come around a little bit earlier than what they'd hoped, but the question mark's gotta be about Anthony Davis' ability to stay healthy, doesn't it? He's always coming up with these little nicks and there's no question about Anthony Davis's ability. He when he's healthy and he's on the floor, he's He's arguably the most impactful player, both offensively and defensively, in, in the whole NBA. So there's no question of marks about his talent. It's just his ability to stay healthy and stay on the floor, which has been the question mark since he first entered the league. He, you know, back in his New Orleans days, he he was very rarely able to string together a full season without going down with some sort of significant injury. So. You're hundred, you hundred percent right. The the pressure has to go on Anthony Davis now to step up and take a bit of that heat off LeBron James. Other, otherwise, I fear that uh, the Lakers could be a bit, in a bit of strife uh, over the next couple of years as far as being a, a championship contender goes. Uh, so we'll move now, Caddy, onto the into the next series, which was the third seeded Denver Nuggets uh, versus uh, the six seeded Portland Trailblazers. Last time we spoke, it was uh, it was the series was tied at two all, and and neither of us had any idea how this series was going to shake out. And Game 5 was an absolute classic, wasn't it, Caddy? It was uh, Denver come away with a win in the end, 147 to 140 in double overtime. Some of the numbers that the players put up in this game were astounding. So Nikola Jokic had 38, 11, and 9. Monte Morris was was fantastic off the bench with 28 points. Michael Porter Jr. contributed 26 points and 12 rebounds. And it was Dame Lillard who had one of the all-time great performances we've ever seen in a playoff, in a playoff game. 55 points, 6 rebounds, and 10 assists including 12 from 17 from 3, and, and Robert Covington had the 19 points and 11 rebounds. But it was just those last couple of minutes of Game 5 that were just incredible to, to watch, wasn't it, Caddy? I know you watched the game, and, and I did as well. We saw Lillard uh, hit that last shot. First, it was that foul that was called and then disallowed. I think it was disallowed as a shooting foul, but the big question was why didn't Mike Malone foul? It allowed Lillard to, to hit that 3 and, and it sent it to, to overtime, and then in that first overtime with a minute to go, Denver were up by 8 points, and it looked looked for the life of everyone that the game was over, but it was Dame Lillard hit a 3, Mont- Monte Morris missed an absolute soda of a layup, a finger roll right at the rim, he missed it. Dame hit another 3 to to cut it down to a uh, to two points at that stage with 24 seconds left. Monte Morris was fouled, he only made he only made one of two. Uh, which, which left 14 seconds left on, on the clock, which is obviously plenty of time for Lillard to, to go to work. He did it again. He hit a step-back three to hit it into double overtime. Um, and in the double overtime, it, Lillard just basically ran out of juice. He hit his first two shots of the of the double overtime period, um, but then after that he, he was all out. And it was just basically he was a one-man show right throughout the, the end of that the fourth quarter and, and the overtime periods. And it was uh, Denver who came away with a win there. And then into game six, the closeout game, uh, Denver come away with the win, 126 to 115. Uh, Nikola Jokic had the 36 points, eight rebounds and six assists. Michael Porter Jr. had 26 points, 22 of those coming in the first quarter where he hit his first six six shots, including five for five from three. And he was the one that sort of kept him in the game because Jokic had a slow start, had two early fouls, and it was uh, Porter Jr. who was able to keep them in the game early on. He didn't do much after quarter time, but he but he played his role in that first quarter. Monte Morris was excellent again off the bench with 20, 22 points and nine assists. Uh, Dame Lillard uh, continued his fantastic series with twenty eight points and thirteen assists, uh, and CJ had the, had the twenty one points. So it was Denver, as I said, who come away with a series win uh, four to two. So I guess that the the question mark uh, for Portland is we've already had a bit of a fallout uh, from from this series ending uh loss from the Portland Trailblazers. Terry Stotts has been out as uh, has been given the well, they I think they said mutually agreed or whatever the terminology they like to use it to save face for the for the outgoing coach. Terry Stotts was been fired as a coach. Uh, Portland actually had the longest act do continue to have the longest longest active streak in the postseason with eight consecutive appearances. But they've been out in the first round four of the last five times. So it was probably time they did look in a, in another direction as far as that coach coach goes. Apparently it's down to Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups. Uh, Dame Lillard has thrown his support behind Jason Kidd, which I don't know why Jason Kidd keeps, you know, continuing to get thrown up as, as a coach. We've seen him in two in two previous stints with the Brooklyn Nets. He was okay, and then he went to the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think he sort he sort of shafted Brooklyn when he got out of there and sort of uh, forced his way to Milwaukee and. I didn't think he did a great job with the Bucs as soon as he left and Mike Budenholzer took over. That's when the Bucs have elevated themselves in the championship contention. So I'll I'm, I'm add a little bit of a loss as to why Jason Kidd continues to be the, the hot name every time a, a coaching role is put up. But where do you see Portland going from here, Caddy? Obviously with the new coach, whoever that may be, to come on board, you know, do they look to maybe move on from C.J. McCollum? Now he's signed for close to 100 million over the next three years. So, you know, who you can get back for him, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's a little bit of a better fit um, than for someone to play with uh, the Dame than C.J. What about Nurkic? He's owed 12 million next season, only four million guaranteed. You know, there's a number of uh, avenues they could go down for you. Though, what do you think the best avenue for for Portland to go down is to to jump back into championship contention, or or even can they?
1: Yeah, look, I'm not sure they, you know, they probably ever really were in championship contention. Even over these past few years, they've they've had pretty admirable runs, you know, into playoffs, and then you know they they've generally played really well in the playoffs. Obviously, that a, a shocker against the Pelicans a few years back, but they've um, competed hard. But they they we've spoken about this before. They they seem to be this perennial bridesmaid type team that just don't really have enough talent to to push through, you know, into you know a meaningful deep run. So. Obviously, Lillard's the star. That they're going to want to keep and build around. You know, if he, you know, if, if he sort of declares his hand and, and you know commits to the organization. I mean, they've certainly committed to him. He's he signed one of the, the biggest contracts in basketball history that he's about to roll himself into, starting from next year on forty three million dollars, working its way all up to fifty four million by the end of twenty four twenty five. So, you know, Portland have shown their commitment to him, and um, you know, I, I think you know he probably needs to show that commitment back to back to them. At least for the next couple of years. So the coaching changes you mentioned is going to happen, um, which probably needed to as well. I always, you know, get surprised how quickly these prospective new coaches get um, bandied around, you know, straight after a coach is fired. So you, I think that there was a report that came out to say that they had been they're pretty f- a fair way down the the path of you know ha- having an idea who the next coach was going to be. So I dare say they've been thinking about this you know playing out for for quite a while but you know McCollum, McCollum's the obvious one that they'd probably look to move to get you know high level you know, colorable star back that that contract you know you know 100 million over the next 3 is sizable but certainly not unmovable um and I think even for the he looked a bit dis, disengaged I thought by the end of game uh, 6 in this series I think it by the end he, he looked a bit shot as well just from a uh, from a, a point of view of being able to offer too much more to to the group, so look, I, I think he'd be the one they'd be looking to at least you know bandy around and try and get something back for well, what that is. You know, who knows? Look, they the guy that they missed this year that didn't play at all with Zach Collins, and they've always had high hopes for him. You know, Norm Powell's going to be as, as we talked about when he got there, he's got a player option. I think he'll be looking for longer term uh, money as well. So you know, I'd be surprised if it's at Portland. Yeah, so they've got a, a pretty clean slate really to work with if they can you know move. Uh, potentially McCollum off the books, uh, coming to Nurkic both under contract for next year. So, you know, look, the, I, I I think there's still a fair way off being able to shift this roster into championship-level um, contention. You know, they just don't have that young star coming through the ranks that's, you know, potentially able to help them. You know, we thought, you know, Anthony Simons may have been a, a player on the rise and he sort of never came through really this year. Nasir Little is on the roster on a rookie contract. He hasn't shown uh, much from... A starting caliber player either. So look, I think they are going to be a fair way back now. Looking to how they rebuild this roster into even playoff contention for next year, I've got some serious doubts about about where they're potentially at.
0: So on McCollum, Zach Lowe brought this one up, and I thought it was probably one of the better ones that you know, because realistically, if you're a championship can. Contender CJ McCollum's more a third option, isn't he? He's probably not going to be a number two option on too many championship contending teams. The, the, the one, because you have to try and get someone obviously around the same mark, do you think a Tobias Harris trade with the Philadelphia 76ers could sort of benefit both teams? It, it sort of gives uh, Philly a good scoring guard and then maybe brings in more more a forward style player to, to go and play against uh, play with Dame. Sorry, Do you think maybe Tobias Harris would be a better fit next to Lillard as opposed to CJ McCollum?
1: Potentially a better fit, but you know, he's still um, only. We see in Philly, he's perfectly suited to that third um, star role. He's certainly not going to be the second fiddle on a championship team. And you know, you mentioned McCollum, he's proven that he's not a a second best player on on a championship team. So that makes sense for McCollum shifting to a Philadelphia situation, but I don't think for Portland to move forward into any. Um, great level that Tobias Harris is going to be the number two guy supporting Damian Willard to get him into that into that level. So, you know, I, I think they yeah you know, they're, they're in an interesting position because of the amount of money tied up to Lillard. But you know, I think they're going to have to uncover a really good young player somewhere somewhere along the board and whether that's trading McCollum for picks and you know cap fillers just to try and get back into the to the early part of the draft potentially um, might be another way forward for them.
0: So you can't imagine Dame's going to be happy if that's a path they go down, and I could understand why they would do that. So Dame, at this stage of his career, he's he's been loyal to Portland. He's been there, obviously, his whole career. He's never asked for a trade, despite the fact that they have now gone out in the first round four of the last five years. He's, he's a top ten player in the NBA. Um, so do you think they do the unthinkable and maybe look at trading Dame? And if they're not going to be... If you're saying it, not I agree with you. I, I can't really see a path to them being a championship contender. Do they look at trading Dame and, and getting as many sort of dra- draft capital as possible, similar to what Houston's done and you know New Orleans did with, with Davis first and then Drew Holiday secondly? So do they try and get as many draft picks as possible and rebuild from there, or do they just keep rot- riding the the? Uh, Damien Lillard gravy train and know that he's probably going to, if they're not going to make the playoffs, they're at least going to be right there. He's obviously a very exciting player to watch. I'm sure that, you know, he draws a lot of people to to the home games at Portland. So do you think that they just continue to go down this path, path and, and sort of wait for Dame to demand a trade or do they go to Dame and say, look, we appreciate everything you've done for us, you've been really loyal, but we want to work with you to help you get to what you want to do, which is obviously win a championship and, and maybe look to trade him.
1: Yeah, look, that, that seems to make too much sense really, doesn't it? Because I think, you know, there comes a time, you know, for player and organisation where, you know, you, you've gone through so much together and it just hasn't worked out. Are, are, are Portland at that precipice at the moment? Look, I'm not sure because, as we said, they've committed long-term money for for him really starting from, from the next season. So, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll want to see some sort of reward for that. Um, yeah, I just don't see how it's going to happen with, the way this um, roster is currently configured, I mean, they could just roll it back with McCollum. They've got Nurkic, Covington. They all come back. They can sign someone, whether it's Norm Powell or someone else. That Collins comes healthy. Now, there's still enough of a core there to to be a, a reasonable side. I just, it's just not going to be an improvement on what they've currently got. So yeah, I think they're at a, at a real crossroads, and the, the coach coaching change is going to be the first of many I think we'll see in the off season here for Portland.
0: Yeah, maybe they do. As you said, just sort of roll it back back with most of these same guys. Who knows what Mallow will do. He's a free agent. Um, Derek James Jr., they, they signed him for two years, $18 million. He didn't really give him much. He hardly played at all in the playoffs. I mean, he played a total of 10 minutes in the playoffs. So he was sort of seen in, in the offseason as one of these guys they needed to put around the backcourt of CJ and Dame because he's, he's an athletic wing type, he's more defensive-minded, but that sort of n- never really come to fruition. And Yeah, obviously, they if they can get Zach Collins up and going, he didn't play at all this season, so it's him – Expecting to bounce back to his absolute best next season is probably a little bit unrealistic. But he, he was seen as a sort of a key uh, contributor going forward to to what they were trying to build. So they're, they're going to be counting on getting a new coach in and that having a big impact. So we'll just wait and see who that coach ends up being. As I said, I, for me, if it's Jason Kidd, I can't imagine that's going to be a huge upgrade on Terry Stotts, but maybe Billups, who's, who's got a great reputation. If you hear him talk on, on TV when he's been an analyst, he, he makes a lot of sense and talks re- really well. So maybe he could be a guy that might be able to lift him up. So I'll be interested to see what does happen in the offseason uh, with the Portland Trailblazers. So moving on now to the only uh, series that is actually still going, which is the four-seeded Clippers versus the fifth-seeded Dallas Mavericks. Last time we spoke, Dallas Mavericks were up Two games to one and they just dropped game three and it looked like the Clippers uh were uh, sorry, yeah, the Clippers were getting right back in it, into it. So the Clippers come away with a comfortable win in game four and Luca played with that next strain uh going into the game. He was obviously never a hundred percent right. So the Clippers won comfortably 106 to 81. They won every quarter. So Dallas really never got going. It was Kawhi Leonard with 29, 10 and 3, and Paul George with 29 uh with 20 points, nine rebounds and three assists. For the Mavericks, it was pretty dry. Uh, Luca had his worst game of the series with nineteen point six rebounds and six assists. And Porzingis had the eighteen points. Now at that stage, it looked like the Clippers were right on top in this series. It was going to be probably they're probably going to win the next uh, two games and come away with a series uh, victory. But Dallas were able to flip flip the script, uh, flip flip the script. Sorry, caddy, if I can spit that out in Game Five, they come away with a one hundred five to one hundred win. And and Luca Doncic was absolutely incredible. He had twenty. 20- he had 27 points in that first half with 42 points, eight rebounds, and 14 assists. Hit five from six from three in that first quarter. Hardaway Jr. had the 20 points, and Paul George uh, for the Clippers had 23 points, 10 rebounds, and six assists, but two costly turnovers late the, in the game that led to three uh, a couple of three-pointers to Hardaway and Paul Zingus, which stretched the lead out to 10 and was ultimately the reason the Clippers uh, couldn't sort of get back into this game. Kawhi Leonard was pretty passive in this. Well, not passive. He had a bit of an ordinary game with 20 points, five rebounds and five assists. And uh, Jarrett, and, and uh, Reggie Jackson had the 20 points. Uh, so he had game six uh, yesterday. So the first five games, incredibly, were won by the away team. And it had never been done in, in NBA playoff history that the first six games had been won by the, the away team. So we were waiting to see whether that could happen. And, and it did. It happened again. The Clippers really really uh fantastic win yesterday with a 104 to 97 win. Kawhi Leonard was fantastic. He had a career an equal career high playoff 45 points, uh tacked on the six rebounds and the three assists. Reggie Jackson was outstanding. He had 25 points including 15 in that first quarter, nine rebounds and four assists. And Paul George uh chipped in when he needed to with the 20 points, uh 13 rebounds and six assists. Luka got Doncic had the 29 points, eight rebounds, and 11 assists. And uh, Hardaway Jr. had the 23 points. And, uh, disappointingly, Kristaps Porzingis only had the 7 points, 5 rebounds and 3 assists. So early on it was Dallas up by 2 points at quarter time. But Reggie Jackson, as I mentioned, sort of kept the Clippers uh, afloat early on with those 15 points. And then it was basically Kawhi Leonard after quarter time that, that sort of started to take control. He had 13 points in that second quarter, and he took the task of defending Luka Doncic, and he was really good on Luka uh, after that first quarter. Luka had 11 in the first quarter and struggled to sort of hit the scoreboard after that. Only had the four points in the second quarter. The Clippers had a three-point lead at halftime in the third quarter, Dallas actually started really well. They were starting to double Luca at the top of the key and he was finding open shooters and they were knocking those shots down and they actually they actually got a lead out to seven points. But then it was Kawhi Leonard who responded with a personal 11-0 run uh, to take the lead. He had 18 points in, in that fourth quarter and it was Dallas with a slight lead at three-quarter time, 77-73. to 73. Uh, in the last quarter, Luka Doncic started on the bench and, and by the, he was only out for a couple of minutes. By the time he came back in, the score had been evened up. And in that last quarter, it was just a tale of who could make shots and it was just Dallas who absolutely struggled. They only hit four of their first 19 shots and Kawhi Leonard stayed hot. He had 11 for the quarter. He got switched out onto He got switched onto Luka Doncic a couple of times, and Doncic basically just couldn't stop him. He hit a couple of step-back threes and a nice step-back mid-ranger that basically sealed the game for them. And as I said, he was fantastic all game. So to, to square the series up, uh, three all, and as I said, the first time in, in NBA history, that, the NBA playoff history, that the first six games have gone to the away team. So what did you see from that game yesterday, Caddy? Have you now sort of... Have you settled on maybe the Clippers winning? uh sorry, the Clippers winning the, the the first home game of the series, or do you think this this last game can go either way?
1: Yeah, it's been. A, I mean, you sum, summed it up there in, in great detail, but it's been a incredible series, really. It's just so unpredictable. Um, you think it, you know? I mean, when we spoke last week, I thought the Clippers, you know, just by taking that, what uh, uh, you know, winning that away game in Dallas took the momentum away from them at that time, and. You know, you'd expect. I was expecting. You know, they'd be able to run through and win that next home game in LA, which wasn't to be. So, yeah, look, really disappointing on Dallas's part. They kept, they couldn't close the the series out yesterday. They, I think, at the end, it's, it's the issue that we've been talking about: just that inability to find another, you know, really um, reliable scorer behind Doncic. I mean, Hardaway Jr. Had a, had a reasonable game, but you know, they they made the adjustment, putting Boban and Jonovic into the starting lineup the, uh, the, for games four and five, and that that seemed to do its job. You know, as a bit of a surprise tactic, you know, early in those games. But I just wonder what their next move can be in this last game seven here. Um, you know, if Luca doesn't have a forty to 40, forty to fifty point game, I'm not sure that Dallas are going to have enough fuel in the tank here to go past the Clippers now that Kawhi Leonard in particular has found his found his groove. He was outstanding, as you mentioned in this last game, and right back to the, you know, the Finals MVP type of caliber player that we've seen him be in the past, and that's how good he was in the particularly late in that game in Game Six. So. Look, I think it, you know, you, if you're a betting man, you'd have to be now favouring us, which is a bit weird to say, the, the home team, the clickers in this last game because I, I just looked at Dallas you know, particularly late in game six and it looked like they were almost exasperated in terms of what else can we do here. We can't just get over this final hump. Um, and, you know, Lucas, you know, we, we know, carrying a bit of a shoulder, neck injury, um, what what more does he have in the in the tank? But I don't think it's going to come from Pazingas. He looks to be more of a, a defensive type player now. That's where his real strength is. He, his deflections and hands and inside the paint have been really good, but offensively, just not getting much out of him at all. And, um, you know, Hardaway Jr. is going to be streaky at best. And, um, you know, as I said, if Doncic can't have a, you know, almost a hit, an historic night here, I, I, I question whether Dallas have got enough uh, fuel left in the tank to get past the Clippers.
0: So, Doncic, I don't know how you, how you felt he played late in that game. I thought he just... He wasn't passive, but he was just too willing to give the ball up. As I said, though, they, they were doubling him and putting some some big bodies on him, whether it was Kawhi or, or Marcus Morris. They were putting some big guys on him, so it was obviously difficult for him to get his shot away. But I just thought too many times he was willing to give the ball up early in the shot clock and, and didn't work hard enough to get it back. So they, they go as far as Luca takes, and we know that. So he's just got – I think he was maybe – I think he came out after game five and, and he had a bit of a, an ordinary last quarter in game five. And I think he, he came out and said that he was he probably took too many shots. So I think he was still trying to find that balance between taking too many shots and not enough. And we're forgetting how young he is. He's only in his third season. So he, he's still going to go through growing pains at, su- at such a young age. And I think it was probably the first time we saw his lack of experience come come to fruition because he just didn't quite get that mix right. So hopefully, and I'm sure that the, the Dallas coaching staff will talk to him and, and tell him, we need you to be more aggressive than you were in that last quarter. But I, you said it's probably not going to come from Porzingis. I, I, you have to put it on him. He, he's your second highest paid player that they gave up what they did to get him across. And Tim Hardaway Jr. was seen as a throw-in in that deal. Well, he's basically he's basically been the main player in that deal that we've seen right throughout these playoffs. So Porzingis has to stand up. He can't be taking seven shots in a game when they need a second option behind Luca, It can't be Tim Hardaway Jr. I'm putting it squarely on Chris, Chris Stapp's so I want to see him be aggressive. I don't want to see him settling for these, you know, all he's shooting is, is these long threes. Get, get in there, mix it up, use your height to your advantage and, and give them something because if they don't, I can't see, how much like you, I can't see how uh, Dallas are going to be able to win this game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he really, not that he owes them that, but, he you know, you'd like to see him be more aggressive and, you
0: know, just well, said he Donchich does. Was. He's not getting paid $5
1: a game. I think he does owe him. Yeah, well, fair enough too. And, look, Doncic, you know, just said, was a little bit passive. He, he still had the 24 field goal attempts in this game. So, But, you know, I, I noticed at times, look, even he um, gave up. I think it was Pazigas gave up an open three, swung it across, and then Kleber, he... You know, he's there to basically knock down outside shots as well. He gave up one that you know he had an open look at. So they, they just looked like they were zapped of a bit of confidence by the end of it, and um, they weren't sure where to look to to someone to sort of bring that game home. So you know, it'd be a, for me, it's going to be a big surprise for them to win it. But as you said, this um uh, this series has been so unpredictable. Who who really knows how it's going to shake out? and It's um you no know, exciting for us to be able to sit down and watch it tomorrow.
0: Yeah, so you're, it's it's a real early start for us too. I think it's five thirty a.m. Five thirty. Un- yeah, unfortunately. So uh, set the alarm clocks because it, so it should be a cracker. So you're leaning, you're leaning Clippers by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they should get a drive this home, and I think um, all the NBA um, executives that are looking after t- TV ratings will probably be broken for the Clippers. Also, I think to be able to have a, an LA team, at least one of them survive through the second round, will be the result that they're they're certainly after.
0: Yeah, it certainly will be. I, I'm leaning Clippers too. I would love Dallas to get through. I would, If, if my, if I was betting with my heart, I'd say Dallas, but I'd, I I, agree. I just think I, there's not enough behind um, Doncic for them to be able to get through tomorrow, I don't think. So I, I agree. I'm, I'm going with the Clippers. So we'll swing over into the east now. Uh, so the first seed of Philadelphia 76ers came up against uh, the eighth seed of Washington. Wizards, Philly were up 3-0 last time we spoke, and we thought it would just be an easy closeout. But game four saw what was a little bit of a turning point in the series with an, an injury to Joel Embiid. And Washington were able to come away with a 122-114 win. Uh, Beal had 27-4-4. Four and four. And Westbrook had, had an astonishing line of 19 points, 21 rebounds and 14 assists. And he was 3 of 19 from the field. Have you seen a more Russell Westbrook stat line than that? Uh, Rui Hachimura had 20 points. And Brook Lopez had 16 points, all on little hook shots, I think. It was uh, he was just winding back the clock and and just hooking uh, Philly to death. Uh, for Philly, uh, Tobias Harris had twenty one points, thirteen rebounds, and five assists. Uh, Maxi had fifteen points off the bench, and that was about all they got. So it was a bit of a surprise, as we as we both said last week, we we're expecting a sweep. But once the injury happened to Embiid, I, I guess it put a little bit of a doubt in everybody's mind as to whether Philly could close out in Game Five. But they were able to do so. It was a close game at, at halftime, but they were able to extend it out in the second in the second half, and they came away with a 129 to 112 win. Uh, Curry had his best game of the series with 30 points. Tobias Harris, uh, 28, nine, and six. Uh, ben Simmons had a triple double: 19 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. And Brad Beal finished off what was a really good series. with Beal, 32 points, seven rebounds and five assists. And Russell Westbrook had 24 points, eight rebounds, and 10 assists. So from a Washington Washington perspective, Caddy, what do you think they should be doing in the offseason? Is it, Tom, do they just run back what they what they had this season? Because they obviously had a really good finish to this to the season. Their first half were marred by injuries and COVID protocols. Do they do they look at that and say, oh, well, We'll sort of look at how he finished the season. If we can put together what we had in the back half of the season for a full season, maybe we can be a somewhere between a three to six seed. Or do you think it's time that they finally pull the trigger on a Bradley Beal trade, get everything they can for him, reset it all, and then go from there? Yeah,
1: well, they're the two, they're the two directions. I don't think um, they're going to be lucky enough to be able to move off Russell Westbrook's money uh, as easily. And look, and I think, to be fair, you know, he gets a lot of shit thrown at him for the way that he does play. But look, I think he's... He's come in and, and been a really valuable um, addition to them. He's, he's, um, his numbers, obviously, as we've discussed all through the season, have been almost historical once again. So I think, you know, he, he pays his way, Russell Westbrook. I think he's um, pretty harshly dealt with. We, you know, we obviously understand the poor shooting choices at times and the low percentages, but, you know, he's a tr- tr- tremendous athlete and gives his 100% every single night he plays. So I think the big decision is Bradley Beal and whether that's going to have to come from Bradley Beale's mouth himself for him to force a trade out. Because um, I know, as we know, Washington have been reluctant to even mention him in in any trade conversations um, in the past. So I think to run it back, you know, I think you're going to get a, a pretty similar result at the bottom end of the playoffs at, at best, and then probably a, a pretty quick first round exit. I think would be the the ceiling of this current lineup. So Thomas Bryant's the guy that you know has been injured this year again. Um, whether he's got any you know improvement left in him to to come back and play, but I think you know they've certainly found a player. Daniel Gafford, I thought his playoff series was, was really terrific. And, um, you know, he was a, almost a, a throw in as part of, you know, some of those Chicago uh, trades in, in, during the trade period. So I think they'd be really happy with what he produced for them off the bench in this playoffs. He, he gave them 23 minutes a game at the end, 11 points, of nearly six rebounds, two block shots. So I think they found a young player there. Rui Hashimura, you know, has, has improved again this season. So they'd like to see um, greater improvement from them. I don't think they'd be happy with what they got out of date per Spurton's probably overall on the season. He'd need to give um, greater value than what he's given this year. But uh, I think, yeah, the big decisions, you know, and the biggest talking point all through the off-season will be once again sur- surrounded, surrounding Bradley Beal and whether he or the team decide it's uh, time to part ways.
0: Yeah, so you ran through some of their young players there. So it's really only the, – the really only improvement you'll see is coming out of Rui Hachimura. Daniel Gafford, as you said, I thought – I totally agree. I thought he was, he was fantastic when they got him across – uh, before in that trade deadline deal. Danny Avdia hardly played this year. I think he had an injury. I think that was the reason he, he missed uh, quite a bit of the season. So there's not a lot of improvement out of those guys. You mentioned Thomas Bryan as well, so maybe he can probably get a little bit better. He's only been in the, se- in, in the NBA for three seasons. So you're looking at those guys, whether the improvement from those guys is going to be enough to lift these guys up to be, as you said there, they're probably going to be more a first-round-and-out style team. So I've got pretty serious doubts whether the improvement from those guys can be enough to lift them up to be at least a second-round team. And maybe Scotty Brooks has got to come under a little little bit of pressure as well to keep his job. So I think they probably start the season with Bradley Beal, and and if things don't go uh, down, down the path they'd like it to, maybe they look at at uh, dealing Bradley Beal before the trade deadline next season. So I don't think they'll do it in the off-season, but I, I think they'll probably look to to move him, uh, as I said, b- before the trade deadline next year if they do start a little bit slowly because I, I can't see them sort of becoming a, 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 a force in the Eastern Conference the way it is at the moment. I just think they're going to be on the outside looking in for them. So we'll move on to the next series, which was uh, Brooklyn versus Boston. Brooklyn were up 2-1 last time we spoke, and they had that that surprise loss after the 50-point game to Jason Tatum in Game 3. So Game 4, it was Brooklyn 141 to 126. You saw the full effect of what the, the big three can, can put up in, in this game. It was Durant with 42 points, Kyrie Irving had 39 points, and James Harden had 23 points and 18 assists. For the for Brooke, uh for Boston it was uh, Jason Tatum again outstanding with forty point seven rebounds and five assists and Marcus Smart continued to have a have a good series with sixteen points and nine assists and in game five it was Brooklyn who were able to close it out one twenty three to one oh nine Harden added a thirty four point ten rebounds and ten assists triple double it was Kyrie Irving with twenty five points and Durant with twenty four points. Tatum finished off his his really good series with 32 points, nine rebounds and five assists. And Evan Fournier had his best game of the series with 18 points and six rebounds. So again, similar to what we saw in Portland, there's been some some, uh, some bloodshed, I suppose, since since the season's finished. Danny Ainge has retired as general manager. He's been uh, in that role for a long time, responsible for for putting together that run where they had KG and, and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce, and then putting together this second iteration, I suppose, uh, when they traded away those guys and were able to get the draft picks that turned into Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum. So he's, he's out as general manager. Surprisingly, Brad Stevens, their head coach, has stepped into that role. I guess nobody saw that coming. There'd been some rumours... Uh, throughout the season, this potentially could be Danny Ainge's uh, last year in the general manager job, but I don't think anybody really expected Brad Stevens would be the one to step into that role. So what do you think Boston do from here? Do they continue to build around Tatum and Jalen Brown? Do they look to trade Marcus Smart, who's probably really their only trade asset? He's got one year remaining on a, on a pretty uh, play uh, team-friendly deal. Do they look at moving Kemba Walker, how much you'll get for him? I'm not too sure, but there's obviously some doubts about his ability to stay on the floor and contribute. Firstly, they've obviously got to hire a coach, but what do you think they do after they get that coaching uh, appointment done, Caddy? What 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 do you see Boston's big move to get themselves into championship contention?
1: Yeah, look, I wouldn't even rule out Brad Stevens eventually hiring himself to come back and coach this well, team. Well, I think there was be... something
0: mentioned yesterday. I don't know if it was tongue-in-cheek, but it it said the, the tweet was uh, – Brad Stevens is leading Brad Stevens' search to be the Boston coach. So I'm not sure as I said if it was tongue in cheek or if it, was, if it was serious.
1: No, look, and that'll be a really interesting point. There's obviously a few coaching jobs that have come up and you know, whether there's a better replacement than him himself, um, that'll be quite fascinating to see. Look, in, in terms of Boston next year, look, they they've just got to continue to build around. Tatum and Brown, they're they're pretty much capped out um, going into next year. Evan Fournier will come off the books and become a unrestricted free agent. So I'd be uh, I think surprising if he was to sign longer term there, I think you'll find a home elsewhere. So they're pretty much tied up with Tatum Brown and Kemba Walker with Marcus Smart there as well. So unless, I just said, they're looking to move one of those guys on, I don't know that it would be a huge trade market for, for Kemba. Marcus Smart, I think, you know, you'd be able to get something, maybe a draft asset back for him potentially. So, look, I think if this is, you know, you look back at, to all those, you know, war chests of draft picks that Boston had carried over the years, you know they obviously you know we think they did well uh, with Tatum and Brown, but you know it's quite funny how it's changed so quickly. And now Brooklyn, are, with a team that they fleeced at the time, and, and they've already gone past them without really Boston achieving anything significant um, during that time. So um, you know this this team as it, as it's currently currently constructed, even if Jalen Brown was playing in these playoffs, I, I doubt whether. It, well, we saw it through the season; they just weren't good enough. So um, look, if, if this is what they've got, you know they're, they're going to have to. Get creative to find a way to probably bring a third star player in that's um, at a level above Kemba Walker. Whether they're capable of doing it, you know, over this off season or not, Kemba Walker's got a team option in the fo- uh, Sorry, a player option in the following year, so he could really just walk into that salary um if he, if he thinks that's where he's at for not just next year but the season after. So that's a bit of a risk for Boston to have to carry that through because I think Tatum, you know, you'll get continued improvement from him. Jalen Brown the same, but whether it's enough improvement you know, for them to become, you know, top five, top ten type players. You know, though I think they're probably sitting just outside the group of that, probably in that 10 to 20 to 25 range. So they need a, you know, if they one of those guys can make the jump into that top five, top ten range, that'll help them. But, yeah, I've got concerns really for Boston um, in the next couple of years how they can shape out this roster because they have, you know, committed to these young players. They've paid them maximum contracts, which gives them really little flexibility to, to work around on the edges of this of this roster.
0: Well, you're going to get a good idea about who Brad Stevens was frustrated with as a, as a coach, aren't you, because he's now moved into the GM role and he could trade some of these guys straight away. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. You mentioned there that the, all those draft picks they got in that Brooklyn deal. They just didn't hit. They obviously hit on the two important ones, obviously Tatum and Brown, which is massive and that matters. But Carson Edwards, Sammy Ojolet, Romeo Langford, Peyton Pritchard, Grant Williams, like these first-round picks, they just didn't quite hit where they needed to, so that they needed to be able to fill that roster out around th- these two young stars. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. Firstly, what they do as far as a coaching appointment does uh, go. Sorry, and then and then what they do around this roster. I think they might look to trade Marcus Smart, um, and I think they probably will obviously explore trading uh, Kemba Walker. But you said there, what what you can get for him? Who knows? Whether it's some you know, someone else on, on a equally as bad contract but maybe just sort of fits around those two a little bit better, I'm not quite sure. So it'll be interesting to see what Boston do do in the offseason and and if they can sort of jump back in because, yeah, you, you said there you probably need, and you're looking more at Jason Tatum realistically than, than Jalen Brown to be able to jump into that top 10 player um, scenario, and and we've certainly seen it. I mean, he, he's had a 50-point game in a playoff series, so he's certainly capable of doing that. But I think you mentioned throughout the season that he can, he can throw in a clunker Every now and then, which if you if you want to be considered a top ten player, you can't afford to do that. So, another off season for uh, for Jason Tatum. He, he he works on a couple of things. He comes back, and if he can push himself towards a top ten player, and they can fill the roster out around him, maybe Boston can jump up, jump back into into championship contention. So we're we'll moving on into the into the last series in the in the East. It was the fourth seed of New York Knicks versus the fifth seed Atlanta Hawks. So Atlanta were up two games to one last time we spoke. In Game Four, it was Atlanta one thirteen to ninety six, now it was the third quarter that really split this game open, where Atlanta outscored New York by thirteen points. Trey Young was outstanding with twenty seven points and nine assists. John Collins finally came to the party. I said last week I needed we needed to see him do a little bit more, and he responded with twenty two points and eight rebounds. And Gallinari was great off the bench with twenty one points. Julius Randle had probably his best game in the series with 23 points, 10 rebounds and 7 assists, but he was only 7 of 19 from the field. Uh, And R.J. Barrett had his best game in the series with 21 points, 6 rebounds and 4 assists. So Game 5, a closeout game in the Garden, it was always going to be difficult for Atlanta to do that. The Garden was jumping as it had been in the first two games. But they came away with a win again, and again it was that third quarter where they were able to put a little bit of space on the Knicks. So they outscored New York by seven points in that third quarter and come away come away with a one hundred three to eighty nine victory. Trey Young outstanding with thirty six points and nine assists, including a late three where he turned around and bowed to the crowd, uh, which uh, the the New York crowd loved that. Uh, Capella was was really good with fourteen points and fifteen rebounds, and DeAndre Hunter had fifteen points. And Randall closed out his disappointing uh, series with 23 points, 13 rebounds, and three assists. And R.J. Barrett had 17 points, seven rebounds, and five assists. So, Caddy, we'll, we'll focus on New York. So what 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 do you make of New York? How do you see them going next season? If, if I'm looking at it, I, I could I could see them missing the playoffs next year. If you look at the teams that finished beneath them in the, in the standings, Atlanta, Miami, Boston, Washington, Indiana, Charlotte, Chicago and Toronto, you can mount an argument that those teams there could all jump above New York and you wouldn't bat an eyelid. For me, what we saw from New York in the playoffs, it was that classic team that don't have an extra gear. Now, the the NBA season is obviously a very long season, and you see teams taking games off, players resting here. They take quarters off. They try for a quarter. They get blown out a quarter here, but it was just... New York, and full credit to them. Thibodeau instilled this, which he does in pretty much every team he goes to. That you play hard for forty-eight minutes every game, and that was what they did, and that was the reason they were able to get to the fourth seed. And we we scratched our heads a number of times on this podcast and said, "How are New York? So, you know, how in New York able to get themselves to a the fourth seed based around Julius Randle, one All Star, and then some sort of you know filling players, basically." And then when it came to the playoffs where everybody goes up a gear and they're locked in, they they just, they just weren't able to raise to the occasion. And obviously, Julius Randle being right. super disappointing, um, 18 points, 11.6 rebounds and four assists. He shot 29% from the field and 33% from three. So he obviously got found out a little bit there. Barrett also uh, 14.5 points, seven rebounds, three assists, only 38% from the field and 28% uh, from three. So... What do you make of them, Caddy? Uh, do, do you see them taking another step forward or do you think, you know, it was just an outlier year for Randall and they're probably going to be up against it to make the playoffs? Where do you see New York going forward?
1: I think, well, firstly, you've got to congratulate them on, on, on a terrific, you know, regular season. I think they obviously flamed out a little bit here in the playoffs and and then weren't quite up to it. But, you know, the regular season, they were absolutely fantastic and, and you know, gave renewed hope to all those long-suffering New York Knicks supporters. So, so credit credit to them uh, first and foremost. Going into next year, that's where the you know obviously the significant questions are going to come from around this roster. I mean, they're in a position where they've got a, a you know a bucket load of, of cap room. So it's just how they can how they can um, you know sell the dream to any prospective free agents. Um, you know, to come to New York. Julius Randall, as we mentioned, has got a a partially guaranteed contract for next year. Look, I think they'd still you know see him as a as a really key part of their future. So I'd be surprised if they didn't. A, um, you know, obviously guarantee that nineteen point eight million dollar contract next year, but look to uh, you know give him an extension on, on bigger money. They can certainly afford to do that, and then it's looking at the free agent. Market, you know what's going to be available in the off season. Now, the big, the big question, I think, um, up until about three quarter time in the Dallas LA Clippers game six was around Kawhi Leonard. If you know they if they lost that game, what was going to happen to Kawhi? Is he a guy that would would you know look at a, an opportunity in New York? You know he's going to be a, a free agent. You know does Kyle Lowry come in for a year and, and and help support them and and you know help you know solidify what they've got? Does Damara Derozan shift the needle? Probably not. Victor Oladipo, he's another guy. So, you know, the the free agent class isn't particularly strong as we saw so many guys sort of re-up either throughout the year or last off-season. So, you know, they need to try and get creative of, of how they can how they can do it in terms of trade assets. I don't think there's a, a hell of a lot there. They're going to be able to package up to either get a star back. Um, you know, they've got to continue to invest time to RJ Barrett, who obviously had, a, a, had, a, had an improved season. Obi Toffin, look, I don't know that he's got great upside. He was a, a more seasoned player coming out of the draft as it was. So, look, I, I don't know that, you know he's going to naturally improve a hell of a lot from what we're already seeing, which is which is concerning. Uh, Mitch Robinson was a guy that missed the playoffs. He's a you know on a on a rookie deal at the moment as well, but will be due for an extension um, over the summer. So yeah, look, they, they've got some some players there to build around, but they, I think you know they what they've been doing over the past few years is really setting themselves up to be a free agent. Free agent team and the the, the money all there available for this off season. So it's, hopefully they can, a you know, entice a, a high level free agent to come and, and then beyond that. Spend their money wisely to you know to to really um, continue on this track of improvement that they've seen this year. It'd be a shame for them to regress uh, back out of the playoffs next year. But you know your points valid in terms of the play, uh, the teams snapping at the heels. Um, you know there's some you know obviously big decisions to make in the next few months for the New York Knicks.
0: So, so they obviously need. A, a star, really, because we saw we saw Randall had an outstanding season, but it was pro- proven in the playoffs. And you can't you can't hang a guy on one playoff series. So so let's not be let's not go over the top about that. But it was proven that he can't be your number one player if you, if you're going to be serious about being a, a deep playoff team. So they need someone to come in. Obviously, the the atmosphere that was in the garden, I'm sure, spiked the interest in in some of these potential free agents. You ran through some of the guys there. None of those, I agree, really moved the needle that much. Uh, DeMar Derozan, you know he's probably the, the the leading scorer out of the guys you ran through there. But whether you want to sign, a, I think he's thirty two off the top of my head. Damar Derozan. Whether you want to sign a thirty two year old guy who can't shoot to a long term deal, I'm not too sure. So maybe they go down the same path they did again this year, sign some guys on some one year deals. Maybe they can take a bad contract. Maybe they get some draft picks from, I don't know, a Cleveland or looking to get rid of a Kevin Love or, or one of those type contracts that they didn't really go down that path this year that we thought they might with taking a bad contract off somebody and getting some, some draft capital for it. So they were probably a year ahead of where you probably, maybe even they wanted to be realistically because they, they were probably hoping to get a nut. They got R.J. Barrett picked three a couple of years ago. They were probably hoping to get... Another guy, another high draft pick this year. Obi Topham was their first pick last year from memory, about pick seven or eight. So they're probably hoping for another ten, top ten draft pick this year. But they outperform what everybody thought, and they're not going to get a really high draft pick. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, whether they, they sign one of these free agents this year or, or keep their powder dry and, and wait another another season to get one of these guys in the next free agent market because I don't think there's anybody, for me anyway, jumping off the page that they should go all in uh, to try and sign it and make a deep playoff run with. So, yeah, as you said, you've got to certainly congratulate the Knicks for, for an outstanding season that nobody saw coming. Con- con- congratulate Julius Randle for what we assume will be an all-NBA season. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what they do in the off season and we'll see how they shape up uh, heading into next season. So we saw today, Caddy, uh, round two started and it was the series that everybody uh, has been waiting to see really isn't it? the the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Brooklyn Nets I think probably arguably probably the two most impressive teams that we saw in the first round so they had game one today and, and it was it started out in unbelievable f- uh, fashion with James Harden injuring his hamstring and, and he only lasted 43 seconds he come up clutching his, his right hamstring uh, on a drive to the basket it's I think this happened to Harden earlier on in the season, where he got injured in the first minute of a game. And I and I said it at the time. I find it astounding that a guy gets in, injured injures a hamstring in the first minute of the game. That he has to be, have been under an injury cloud. You don't just do a, do a hamstring out of the blue in the first minute of a game if it wasn't sore or you weren't tight. Do you find that strange, Caddy? That that would happen, and and he have no inclination that there was something wrong.
1: Yeah, look, it seems odd. I mean, so early in the piece, you've gone through, you know, no doubt an extensive warm-up process as well, remember, before they've even started. So, yeah, quite incredible that it was so quickly, um, you know, to have a soft tissue injury in the game, obviously, you know, recovering from a hamstring injury. Um, from, you know, the previous month, you know, there's obviously going to be some doubt around his fitness, as we discussed um, throughout these playoffs. But, yeah, to, to only last the 40 seconds was um, quite incredible. I mean, the extent of this injury now is going to be a huge talking point and how quickly that he can come back. Like, you'd think if he if he has strained that hamstring again, it's got to be a minimum of two to three weeks, you'd imagine. So, you know, if Brooklyn, they might have to get through to almost the finals for, for us to potentially see James Harden. Uh, fit and back again if this is a, any significant, you know, strain or tear in that hamstring. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't seem to affect them today. They were able to recover, obviously, pretty quickly. And um, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving led the way and got great support, obviously, from, from Harris and Griffin. So, yeah, quite interesting uh, that Harden was was out of it. It's disappointing because we obviously, we've spoken so many times about the fact we want to see these guys playing together and, and how it all shakes out. But, um, yeah, I can't see him being a feature in this uh, particular series. From here on in, to be honest,
0: you wouldn't think so. And we said at the time when they got Harden that you'd get the three stars in case one of them gets injured. And 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 Harden was seen seen as an Iron Man leading into this season. He'd hardly missed a game, and it was probably the the doubts more so over Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's ability to stay on the court that you get that third star. And and we've seen now that uh, it, it's Harden that goes out with the injury, and the fact that he missed a, a large chunk of the the back half of the season as well. So yeah, I agree. I, you can't imagine he's going to play any part at all in this series, and they're going to hope that they can get through. So we saw PJ Tucker was inserted into the lineup for Vimil Walk, and he, he took the job on Kevin Durant, and I thought he did a pretty good job in that first half. KD only had the 12 first-half points, but it was it was KD in that second half that, that really got him going. He ended up scoring the 29 points, and he was much more aggressive, I thought, in the second half. We saw Mike James was the one who picked up a little bit of the slack, Um with uh, Harden being out, and he had, he had 14 first-half minutes, which is you know, much more than you'd expect from a guy who was playing overseas. I think even last year uh, he was playing overseas, and he had the seven points in the first half. It was Corey Irving had an outstanding first half with 20 points, and, and Blake Griffin, and, and you mentioned earlier the fact that guys in the buyout market generally don't have much of an impact, but he was outstanding today. They probably... I'll go so far as to say they probably don't win the game without the contribution that Blake Griffin made. He had eighteen points, fourteen rebounds, and three assists. What did you see out of Griffin uh, going forward that you think is going to be really a real big factor for for Brooklyn now that uh, Harden's out injured?
1: Well, it's a, it's another shooter. Look, and you know he's taken nine three point attempts today, which is really encouraging that he's prepared to you know have the confidence to take those shots. So they they obviously need to you know be able to continue to fill it up from outside the arc, and he's a guy that's prepared to to take to take those shots. So. I think that's where his strength's going to be. I think defensively, you know, he holds up all right. And this particular matchup is going to be okay for him because he, they can sort of hide him defensively on a guy like PJ Tucker if they are going to, you know, play Tucker extended minutes like they did today. So there is a, you know, a defensive uh, matchup there for him which is going to work for them. And then obviously, as I said, the ability to spread the floor and, and, and you know, feel comfortable to knock down the three ball is going to be, you know, particularly without Harden, they're going to need another shooter out there. So, you know, Clarkson was another guy that came in today and, and gave, um, you know, not the not from a statistical point of view, but, you know, I thought he, he you know, was able to really contribute um, defensively as well for them when he came onto the floor and, and had great energy for them. So, you know, we questioned around whether, you know, the depth beyond the t- the big three was going to be there. Uh, for, Brook- for Brooklyn, well, we're going to find out pretty quickly um, whether these guys are going to be able to stand up. And you mentioned uh, Mike James was the guy that got some big minutes today. Um, you know, Blake Griffin was the other guy that probably upped his um, output that we would seen recently, so you know, I think they'll still feel pretty comfortable with where they're at, even sans James Harden. But um, you know, we're gonna Milwaukee really need to get some improvement out of their second tier players, um, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday today combining. You know, it was it 13 for 42 from the field? They're gonna need better shooting from from those two guys in particular if they're gonna get back into the series.
0: They certainly will. And they've also got – Brooklyn have also got Jeff Green on the sidelines. Not sure when he was doing back, but he was looking resplendent, Caddy, on the sidelines in his cardigan and Smashing Pumpkins T-shirt. <laughs> Do you reckon if Disarm or Bullet with the Butterfly Wings came on, he would have any idea that the Smashing Pumpkins song was playing? <laughs> I don't think he's ever heard a yeah. Smashing Pumpkins song in his life. But <laughs> this game was actually pretty – there was there was a crucial uh, period of uh, passage of play in the third quarter where Brooklyn were up by six Giannis got fouled and went to the free-throw line. Obviously, if he makes the two free-throws, the margins cut to four. Now, the crowd were getting stuck into him like you wouldn't believe, counting down the 10 seconds because we obviously saw him get penalized in that Miami series for taking too long to to take his free-throw. He missed both of those those free-throws. It goes down. Irving hits a three. Ball goes back. Giannis turns the ball over. Uh, going down the court, and shaman hits a three. So instead of it being a four-point deficit, the margin gets stretched out to 11, and that was pretty much all she wrote from there. Milwaukee just couldn't get close enough. And you mentioned the fact that they needed more out of, uh, who'd you say, Holiday and uh, Middleton. I thought Drew Holiday, particularly in the first half, he he was really, really good in that first half. And you you saw the difference between having him and Eric Bledsoe. He's a fantastic player, Holiday. Doesn't make many mistakes that that he's got a really long stride he just sort of gets to the rim at his own speed and I thought he was great in the first half didn't do much in the second half but Chris Middleton was horrendous he had one of the worst games I've seen a supposedly good player having a playoff game he was he had 13 points uh, 13 rebounds and four assists 6 of 23 from the floor and 0 from 5 from 3 and he was just basically in that last quarter just trying to shoot himself out of a slump it was just it was painful to watch, to be honest, because it was clear to see that Milwaukee had a, had a huge huge advantage in the in the paint. Brook Lopez, I thought, was really good. He had 19 points on 8 of 11 and 5 offensive rebounds in that first half. KD was, was trying to guard Lopez at times in that first half. Now, they didn't really get the ball to him, but Lopez was able to hit the offensive glass and, and get a couple of putbacks. But I think, for me, Milwaukee should feel pretty good. I know, obviously, you're not going to feel good about losing Game 1, but when you look at what happened in Game 1, they were 6 from 30 from downtown. That was their lowest amount of threes they'd hit all season. They're obviously a, an outstanding three-point three, three point shooting team. They were on fire against Miami, the reason uh, they were able to uh, get through that series in a sweep. Their previous low for the season was only 7 May 3, so they had their season-low uh, makes from downtown. As I said, Chris Middleton was horrendous. You can't expect that he's going to be that bad. And I think once they look at the tape and that, and they saw that that uh, advantage they have in the paint, they, they got to pound the ball in there to Lopez, Giannis has to get down there a little bit, a uh, little bit more. Now he had a great game. He had 34 points and 11 rebounds and two blocks. I thought he was great on the on the defensive end, but he can't settle for for these mid ranges and the, and these three point shots. Even though he was able to knock down a couple of those, they've got to just get the ball in into the paint as much as possible. And if they can do that and they can hit some of these open threes. Bryn Forbes thought he was the second coming of Clay Thompson today. That first half <laughs> from Bryn Forbes was ridiculous. He was he was catching the ball and releasing it was within half a second when his feet weren't even set, and then even looked like going in. And then he made a, a horrible uh, defensive play in the third quarter. He went and tried to double Griffin out of the three-point line when Griffin had his back, uh, back to the basket. Griffin found an open, I think, Bruce Brown for a dunk. And so Bryn Forbes was horrendous. Uh, they, they, as I said, they got nothing out of Middleton and out of Bryn Forbes, so you'd expect they'd be able to regroup. Can Brooklyn get you know a game like this again out of Griffin? I've probably got some serious doubts about that. And you know, Mike James, can he play at that level again? So I think, despite the fact that uh, Brooklyn, uh, sorry, Milwaukee lost Game One, they should be feeling pretty good about themselves. And obviously, the fact that that Harden goes down with an injury, obviously, you know, helps them uh, in a lot. What did, what did you see from Milwaukee? Am I being a, bit, a little bit too optimistic uh, with my Milwaukee take there? Or do you think that, you know, they're going to be up against it for the rest of this series?
1: No, look, there's definitely a level of improvement. I mean, the three-point shooting in particular is probably never going to be as bad as it is again. So 20% from there, they've got to obviously double that at least. Um, but, you know, the heart injury is the, the big elephant in the room. And, you know, whether or not KD and Irving really can, can from a, from a physical point of view, stand up. Because I think this series... I'd expect to go six or seven games. You know, I, I think it was only an eight point margin. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably wasn't the, the correct margin. Brooklyn were probably a bit more dominant through the particularly the first three quarters. But you know, Brooklyn are, are going to still feel like they're right in the series, and they just got to make some adjustments. They obviously made the one with PJ Tucker coming into the lineup. I think that they'll stick with that. Uh, but yeah, I think they're just going to get better shooting performances out of, you know, as you said, Chris Middleton. In particular has got to, you know, shoot better than he did. And and you know, as you mentioned, Bryn Forbes. So. No, I think they'll still be feeling like they're riding the series. But, you know, obviously, yeah, not great to lose the first game. But I think this this thing's still alive to go deep, you know, for a six or seven-gamer.
0: Yeah, obviously hard to beat Brooklyn four out of uh, the next six games. So uh, your prediction from here, mine would, and I was, I think I said this last week, I was siding with with Brooklyn. So I'll still side with them in seven. What are you predicting from here?
1: Um, I'll go Brooklyn. I think they can win this potentially in... uh, I'll go six and they'll get the win in Milwaukee, a shock victory in, in game six. I, I think if they can hold hold serve here and get a 2-0 lead, it's going to be a, a mountain too big for Milwaukee to come back from. that.
0: Oh, yeah. G- game two is a must win if, if Milwaukee are <coughs> got to be any chance of of winning this series. Uh, so we'll switch over to now the, the next series in the East, which will be the first-seeded Philadelphia 76ers versus the fifth-seeded Atlanta Hawks. Both teams progressed uh, in five games from their first-round series. So for you, Caddy... What's the biggest key in this series? For me, it's clearly got to be the health of Joel Embiid. How you know, does he play much, if at all, in this series? I think he's he's been diagnosed with a lateral meniscus tear. Um, I think he's had the, a similar injury to that in his rookie season, which they ended up putting him on the shelf. Now, obviously, there's a lot more on the line now um, for them to be potentially win a championship so you wouldn't imagine they're going to put him on the shelf unless it's a it's a, a you know a career threatening injury so for me the, the key of the series is obviously how how healthy is Joel Embiid if he's not healthy can you see can you see Philly being able to win this series with Joel Embiid not playing at all
1: I think they could still potentially win the series it's going to be a hell of a lot of harder task look I think if all things were equal, and Embiid was at his dominant best. Then this this potentially again might have been a, a relatively short series for Philly to win, in, you know, uh, five or you know maybe six games. But you know, if Embiid's out for you know if you're talking potentially the series, then you know you, you've got to almost put it on even even keel. I think around the Atlanta Hawks um, feeling pretty good about themselves to to take it right up to Philly here. So. No, a lot's going to be left on the shoulders of our man Ben Simmons. You know, I, I think he's he, he's going to almost relish that opportunity. I think he showed in, in Game Five of the Boston series, uh, Sorry, of their last series that you know he, he is capable of of taking that lead role. And you know, they just got to get continued support out of their their bench. You know, whether they're capable of doing it, you know, for for a long uh, series. I think we Atlanta have showed that their you know best players are, are going to be up for this. Um, they they were terrific in the. The series against New York, and they're not going to be shying away from any challenge, uh, you know. And as you know, for them, they're going to be looking at this as an incredible opportunity that things have potentially opened up for them now. So, um, look, I'm quite, you know I'm almost more looking forward to the series now that Embiid is out uh, from a from a um, just a sporting contest point of view because I think it's going to be really really even. And um, you know, I think the Sixers with the home court can still get through if Embiid doesn't play. But it's going to be a hell of a lot uh, tougher, no doubt. And, you know, I think Ben Simmons has got to be ultra aggressive, and he's got to be able to feel a bit more comfortable. Uh, the offensive end taking some more, you know, some more shots around the rim, some more jump shots, and uh, Tobias Harris is going to just have to be a, a thirty-point guy uh, night in, night out for the rest of the series.
0: So Simmons started at the five, essentially went in that last game with him beat out. You'd, you'd imagine they're probably going to continue to go down that path, and and we saw Curry had he, had his best game in Game Five. So we've always wanted to see Simmons almost in that Giannis role with with four shooters around him and him essentially playing that centre. So we'll get to see that for however long it may be. I, I, you'd imagine Embiid probably misses game one and they feel it out, similar, I guess, to what Utah did with Donovan Mitchell in, in that in that round one series. And if, if Philly lose game one, maybe they try and rush Embiid back a little bit. But, yeah, I'm interested to see how it does go. And, and, and I totally agree. Simmons is going to have to step up. They're going to need, obviously, more out of Tobias Harris and, Danny Green was on fire, hit forty six percent of his threes in the first series, and he's obviously been in in a number of uh, deep uh, playoff runs. I think if he wins a title with Philly this year, he's the first player to win a title with three, with four, sorry, different teams. Obviously Toronto, uh, the Spurs, and and the Lakers last year. If he wins it with with uh, Philly this year, I'm pretty sure he's the first player in history to win it with four different teams. So he's he's got that experience in playoffs, so we know what he's going to bring to the table. So the biggest question mark from Atlanta perspective is. What's going to happen if if Philly are able to slow down Trey Young? Now, Trey Young was outstanding in, in the first round series. He averaged twenty-nine points a game and nine point eight assists. So they're gonna throw Simmons and potentially Thibol off the bench at him. So he's gonna come up against two outstanding defenders. So they're gonna try and stop that penetration that he was able to get really easily against New York. And I think importantly, Doc Rivers is going to hunt out Trey Young as much as possible on the defensive end. That was something for whatever reason that the New York Knicks didn't do much at all. So we know Trey Young's a very suspect on the defensive end. So I'd expect uh, Philly to hunt him out as much as possible, put him in some pick and rolls, and try and expose him there. And then obviously make life as difficult as possible for him on the on the defense on the offensive end as well. So can you see uh, Atlanta having enough in reserve if let's say? Simmons and Thibault can can limit Trey Young down to twenty points and seven assists. Do to, the to, to, uh, Atlanta have enough guys that can step up in that absence to make this a series?
1: Oh look, you're going to be asking a lot of a guy like potentially Lou Williams. Look, he only played seven minutes in their last game against uh, New York. You know, if Trey Young's getting shut down to the point where he's not able to average the thirty points a game on any type of level of efficiency, they're going to need you know Lou Williams or someone of that ilk to to come through and. And support. I, I saw somewhere that Cam Reddish is now uh, taking part in some really more physical uh, practices. So whether there's a potential that he can come in and, and assist at all in, in this series, that'll be interesting to see. Bogdanovich is a guy, obviously, that's capable of, of, of putting up big numbers offensively. So you know, he, he'd be a guy they'd be looking to. John Collins is the other one. So we've got I think there's enough there. Um, you know, but you know, tra- the, the Atlanta Hawks aren't going to win this series unless Trae Young is going to be playing at, at, a, at a similar level to what we saw, which you know, we we'll to, you know, really excited that we saw it in that first round because um, you know, he's a great player to watch and he he's prepared to step up to the plate. Um, and I think he's going to have to play at that same level for them to to be able to make this a series. But you know, if he's shut down, you know, to any any major degree, then I think Atlanta still have enough in the in reserve to be able to um, yeah, you know, to to come to the party and you know Kevin Hurd is another guy that can do it. DeAndre Hunter, so you know, there's enough around. Trey Young, um, Gallinari's—you know—the other guy that's going to be getting uh, plenty of minutes. He, yeah, know, only scored to one point in uh, Game Five the other day. So, you know, uh, they'll be asking for more of those guys. But you know, I think Trey Young's going to be up to this task. And yeah, we, we spoke about the defensive-minded guards of Philly, but you know, Trey Young's a pretty special player too. So he he'll, he won't be uh, taking this line down this challenge.
0: If Young can put up similar numbers to what he did in the first round series against this defense, he's He's got to go up in everybody's estimations. He's got to be start starting to be spoken about as, you know, a top, I don't know, five point guard in, in the NBA if he can do that. So it'll be interesting to see whether he can do that. Um, what's your prediction? It's obviously really hard to get a, to get a real good grip on this series because because we're not sure on the status of of Joel Embiid. W- what are you thinking? I'm probably going to side with Philly in six. What about you?
1: Yeah, I was going to say Philly in six as well. If, if Embiid can, you know, if he does only miss... Yeah, you know, who knows? He might even play tomorrow. But if he only misses the the one game, then I think you know they might be able to wrap it up potentially in five. But um, yeah, look if he's out for the whole series, um, like we discussed at the start, then you know this could has the potential to potentially go deep and, and become a seven game series as well.
0: So we'll move o- over to the West now, and the only series that we know for sure that is happening is the second seeded Phoenix Suns versus uh, the four seeded uh, Denver Nuggets. Both those teams got through in six games. So the key for me in this series is can uh, Deandre Ayton stay out of foul trouble. So Nikola Jokic was absolutely incredible in that first round series against Portland, averaged 33 points a game, 10.5 rebounds and four and a half assists. His shooting splits 52% from the field, 42% from three, and 91% from the line. So incredible. DeAndre Ayton was 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 fantastic as well against the Lakers. He, he averaged 15.8 points a game and 10.7 rebounds, and importantly played 36 minutes a game. So that, that was up, I think, by about six minutes on his regular season minutes. He, he does have a tendency at times to get himself into foul trouble, but he's going to have to be able to match minutes – Jokic's minutes, similar to what Nurkic did as much as possible uh, in that Portland series. But Nurkic fouled out in, I think, four of the six games in the end. Uh, So Jokic has that ability to get the guy defending him into trouble. But if Aiton is in foul trouble, you're looking then at Kaminsky, Dario Saric, or even Jay Crowder. Now, none of those guys have got a hope in hell of being able to slow down Nikola Jokic. So for me, it's absolutely crucial that if Phoenix want to win this series at one, DeAndre Ayton stays out of foul trouble. And two, he's able to defend Jokic to at least some sort of, you know, decent uh, level. And and he has to be able to contribute on the offensive end as he did in that first-round series.
1: Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, obviously really important. And I think, again, like we talked about with Trey Young, DeAndre Ayton we had a terrific first-round series and, and um, contributed probably even better than, than we could have hoped for, really. So, you know, look, he's going to have his hands full with, uh, Nikola Jokic, but you know that's not going to be any surprise. And I think that this, for me, this series, um, is going to more come down to the to the guards. I think we're going to expect that Jokic is going to put up the numbers that he did in this first, uh, you know, the series against Portland. You know, if they played six or seven games, he's going to be averaging almost a thirty point triple double every night. That's just the level of player he is, and and he's been able to show us he's capable of doing it in the playoffs. For me, it's going to be around the health of Chris Paul. Can he get through another really tough series here? Can those Denver guards, like they did in the end, Monte Morris? Austin Rivers, um, can they continue to produce at a high level to to give um, Jokic the support he's going to need? I mean, we saw Michael Porter Jr. come to the party offensively, so he's going to need to continue that. But, yeah, I think it's that guard spot, how the how Denver guard's going to be able to um, approach Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and, and you know, I think that's where... Uh, and even Cameron Payne, I, I thought he played a, a really good first-round series as well. So I think that guard rotation for me, um, again, for Denver, is going to be really important to see where they're going to be up to the plate. I think, you know, we just got to expect that Nikola Jokic is going to do his thing. John, John Jay, I think, again, I think it, for me it's the, the offensive end that we want to see him, you know, really continue to flourish because we know defensively he'll do, you know, the best job he can. But, um, you know, if he can average the 16 points a game through this series, then Phoenix are going to be pretty well placed to be as competitive
0: as possible. Well, there's no doubt that the health of Chris Paul is a huge issue too. So he looked, as I mentioned earlier, he looked really good in Game 4 had his best game of the series, but he injured his shoulder again late in Game 5, and in Game 6, he was caught wrestling with LeBron in the post, which is probably not a guy you want to wrestle with when you've got a sore shoulder, and he came up clutching at it, and you saw late in that game, they were sagging off him at, at when he was standing at the three-point line. Now, he attempted a couple of them, but didn't make any of them, and he was wide open. Usually, he's a knockdown shooter, and he even passed up one and, and passed to a, to a covered uh, Jay Crowder, and Crowder was on fire, so he knocked it down, but... Yeah, obviously he's had a couple of days off now, so you hope he's able to get his shoulder right. Because if he's not at one hundred percent, I've got my doubts about Phoenix being able to progress through through this series. And you mentioned that, that there's no doubt the guard the guard matchups are going to be crucial. Booker was was huge; he was massive in that closeout game. You'd think probably Aaron Gordon might go to would go to him. He's probably the best chance of being able to slow him down. Um, and then the, I can't wait to see Campazzo versus Chris Paul. That's two. Small, annoying, feisty guards. You'd imagine there's going to be some elbows thrown. Maybe even in game one, but certainly by game two, they're going to be annoying the shit out of each other. And you could see both of them getting a couple of texts for throwing some some wild elbows, uh, some wild elbows at each other. And and Will Barton's the interesting one. I think there's a report that he could be a chance of coming back in this series from that hamstring injury. So if they can get him back, uh, Monte Morris. You mentioned him. He he was outstanding in that first round series. It was basically him and Jokic just pick and pick and rolling Portland to death late in that game's that game six victory. So if he can continue to play at that level. Composo and Rivers uh, step up to the plate. They get Will Barton back from this hamstring injury. Well, they they might have enough to be able to progress through to to the Western Conference Finals. And and you start looking at the fact that if they had Jamal Murray, they would certainly have been my pick from here to win the to win the West and and progress through to the championship. You know, run against whichever East East team comes through. So for you, Caddy, how are you seeing this series going? Which team are you leaning towards?
1: I think I'm going to, look, I was really impressed with the way Phoenix were able to hold their nerve um, in that series against LA and obviously, you know, there were mitigating circumstances at the end with um, particularly Anthony Davis being injured but, look, I thought they handled themselves really, really well. Devon Booker was was outstanding and we, you know, we spoke about DeAndre Ayton so, look, I think they they can really challenge Denver here. Um, You know, as I said, I think, We've got to just expect Jokic is going to be, you know, playing at a at a really incredibly incredibly high level. So look, I think Phoenix, uh, you know, with the home court advantage again in this series, you know, might be able to win this. And I think it's going to be a, a long and, and and quite a tough, hard series that could go seven games. But I'm going to lean towards Phoenix being good enough to um to get through and and have a just a, an incredibly surprise surprising run through to the Western Conference Finals.
0: I, I've just lent Phoenix as well, purely because of home court. If, if Denver had home court advantage, I would, I would go for them. But that's obviously why you you play the regular season, play your ass off and, and full credit to Phoenix for, for getting the second seed because it could be the reason that, it, that they're able to progress uh, through to the Western Conference Finals in what would be uh, obviously a bit of a surprise run. So I asked you this question last week, Caddy. If you're picking a team out of the east and out of the west, which way would you go at the moment?
1: It's just incredible how quickly things change, isn't it? I mean, I think last week I said Philadelphia and the Lakers would be the one, and obviously the Lakers aren't even through to the second round. And with this Joel Embiid injury and and uncertainty around him, it's really hard to hand on heart categorically think that Philadelphia are going to be able to make their way all the way through. So as it stands right this minute, I'd be leaning towards Brooklyn and Utah coming out of the east and the west.
0: Yeah, you're right. I, I think I'd sided with the last. But I said last week there was no one standing out, and I'd said maybe even Dallas had been the most impressive team. Now, obviously not knowing who comes out of that series makes this a little bit more difficult for the West. But the East for me is clearly, oh, I said it last week, whoever wins that, that uh matchup between uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee I think going to win the championship. So I'm signing with with Brooklyn there. And for the West, I'll go Phoenix. Just um, ju- ju- I just think they've got a little bit more... Just a little bit more than Utah, but and as I said, without if the Clippers get through, I could probably you could probably twist my arm to go for the Clippers just because of Kawhi Leonard. Basically, he's just he's just been a killer throughout these playoffs, and we've seen him do this before and carry a team basically to a championship. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow in Game Seven if Clippers get through. Maybe next week when I'm talking about this, I'm going to go the Clippers. So we'll call it there, Caddy. Another extra long one, but when we need to get through quite a few series, they're obviously going to go for for quite a bit of time. As I say every week, uh, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. Please jump on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you haven't as yet, and also jump on Facebook and uh, like, the page here, like the page there. Like the page there, because all the episodes get posted on there, and we'll speak to you next week. <music>